And so, Alex, um, we're privileged to have you here opening God's Word for us uh, this morning. So why don't you come and lead us? Thanks, brother. Thanks. It's good to be with you again. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 25. Do we have that on the, uh, on the overhead? We don't. We do that. Okay. So if you have a Bible, follow along. This is found in the middle of a long sermon, or actually a relatively short sermon, <laughs> long by uh, transcription for, for biblical text, but um, a sermon by Jesus where he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. This is God's Word for us. So three times in this text... Uh, Jesus says, do not be anxious. In verse 25, He says, do not be anxious. Verse 31, do not be anxious. And again in verse 34, do not be anxious. Which is re- are really stunning words for us for, for two reasons. One, uh, Jesus is uh, giving what, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this context, he is, um, Matthew has just been sort of retracing the steps of Israel about how they, Jesus sort of mimicking the nation of Israel, coming out of Egypt, um, escaping Pharaoh, murdering the first children. And then he's coming up, and he goes up on a mountain to give a sermon, which is very much in line with Moses. And so sort of what Jesus is doing is declaring his new kingdom. And he's declaring himself as a new king. And when he, one thing he does as a king is he says, do not be anxious. And that's so counterintuitive to other kings of that time because what was typical for any kind of emperor, for any kind of king in the ancient Near Eastern world is that to use anxiety as a way of following them. That if they wanted you to show them respect, if they wanted you to need their leadership, to need their care, to need their supervision, they would try to create anxiety amongst you so that you would need them. But Jesus coming to redefine for us what it means to be a king and to care for us. It says, if you want to follow me, do not be anxious. That I'm a king who wants to remove anxiety. 
So he's so counterintuitive to every sort of king, every sort of leader that has ever kind of come and come into the world. But it's also stunning for us because of our daily life today. I mean, who among us is free from anxiety on a day-to-day basis? In fact, it feels like more and more in 2017 that this is something that plagues us. Uh, Harvard Journal Psychology author wrote this. She said, anxiety evokes two experiences in life. Either a life stuck on an escalator that won't ever move, or a life stuck on an elevator that is not allowed to stop. It is the defining emotion of our culture, and I'm not sure how one completely lives without it. In fact, I remember one time um, teaching on this passage, and a girl came up to me, and she told me that she just thought that anxiety was just our lot in life. That it was just how you're supposed to live in 2017, and you just have to learn to cope with it. But Jesus says to you, do not be anxious. Which what he's offering you this morning is a life that is designed to be less anxious than the one that you're living right now. So how in the world do we do this? By the way, can you nod to me when my like, microphone goes in my collar? You can't hear me. If you want to live a life free from anxiety, which is what Jesus is offering you, five things. With anxiety, you must learn its cause. Excuse me, you just understand what it is, learn its cause, face the foolishness, experience the remedy, and practice the antidote. Anxiety, if you, if you want anxiety to be less a part of your life, you must understand what it is, learn its cause, face the foolishness, experience the remedy, and practice the antidote. First, you must understand what it is. So if we're going to understand what anxiety is, we have to get our finger on it. I remember um, we did this last weekend. We've done this multiple times in our marriage. When we changed the, um, either the curtains or the blinds over a window, I'll never understand the design of brackets and how in the world you're supposed to fit a, an electric drill or screwdriver in and something that has a 90-degree angle blocking the exact same thing that you're trying to stick it in. And I, it's so frustrating, and I realized the only way that I, you could ever do it is you somehow have to get your fingers sort of slipped in in the bracket and hold a screw and just subject your finger to pain for about 10 seconds. And it's the only way it'll work. And you, in order to begin to deal with anxiety, you have to begin to get your finger on it. Um, so a definition. Uh, one person said this, anxiety is fear in the face of uncertainty. Which sort of goes with what Jesus says here in verse 25. He says, do not... Be anxious about your life. And then in verse 34, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And he gives these categories, life and tomorrow, that are really two things that are sort of surrounded by uncertainty and the intangible. Um, that there's what sort of Jesus is giving to us is that there's a difference between fear and anxiety. What fear is, is fear is surrounded by the clear, objective thing in front of you. But anxiety is surrounded by um, things that are unknown. So for example, if you and I are sitting at a coffee shop talking about life and a Mack truck is coming 100 miles an hour aiming for our window, speeding straight at us, and we're sitting there talking, Jesus does not look at us and go, my child, do not be anxious. He would say, get up and run. What anxiety is, is it's not surrounded by anything um, that is real. It's all grounded in thinking about the imaginative. It's focusing on things that we cannot get our hands around, which is why Jerry Seinfeld has that famous joke telling us that the number one fear in America 
and it really should be the number one anxiety in America, is public speaking. And he says, number two is death. <laughs> death is behind public speaking, which means that at the average funeral, most everybody would rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> because what, what, what anxiety is, is it is a plaguing problem for us grounded in false belief. Look what Jesus says in verse 26. This is where he's going. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them all. Are you of not more value than they? Now what he's trying to do to you in life is he's trying to say, look, consider out the things of the world. Do you understand that your heavenly Father cares for those things? And so when anxiety climbs up within you, one of the present things that you've got to get your finger on is that it is grounded in a false belief. Now everybody today says, um, how has life been going? What have you been up to lately? And we all say, I've just been really busy. But here's the reality of that. For many of us, when we say we've been really busy, that is also grounded up and we've been really anxious. And we often blame that on our circumstances and we think, uh, my circumstances in this season are just unusually busy. But all psychologists and all pastors are basically to say the same things. That what's really driving our anxiety is not our busy circumstances, but our busy heart within our circumstances. And you have to get your finger on this thing. That ground, what's, what's driving your anxiety, what's behind it, is a false belief in God's goodness and care for you. And you have to know that because otherwise you will be blaming it all in your circumstances and not understanding your heart. And just like a bracket on the wall, you'll think I've got to move that. But it's, it, the problem is the place on the wall and not you beginning to get your finger on it. You understand what it is. Secondly, you've got, to under, you've got to learn the cause of anxiety. Jesus says again in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body or what you put on. Now right away it sounds like Jesus uh, is describing some sort of ascetic lifestyle that when you become a Christian, if you want to discover enlightenment, if you want to discover reality, you just begin to stop caring about materialistic things. That if you want to live an anxious, free life, just sort of uh, strip yourself of all uh, material wealth, all material problems, and just move out in the middle of nowhere and sing psalms all day. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because look again in verse 32 when he says this, For the Gentiles care about these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In fact, many of the, uh, the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels are surrounded by, if you love me, if you care for me, you will feed the poor. You will put clothes on the back of the poor. And so these material things about food, about clothes, about our lives in general, those are not things that Jesus is saying, just don't care about them. But what he is saying is that here's where the cause of anxiety comes up, is that we begin to take these things and we begin to have inordinate amount of desires for them. When he says, do not be anxious about your life, the word there for life is the Greek word psyche, which is often the word that we've translated into our, our, excuse me, our identities, our personality, the way people understand us and know us in this world. And so what we do is we will take things in this world and make them that are good things and make them ultimate things in order to become who we are. 
And because these things, like our jobs, or our children, or our house, or our bank account, are so fragile, that when you begin to put the meaning of life, or the significance of who you are upon them, they can't hold the weight. And so the fragility of them begins to make you lose control. And when you begin to lose control, and it begins to shake, that's when the anxiety begins to come up. When you begin to lose control over something that's a good thing, that you've made the center of your life, then it can't hold the weight. All you can do is grab it. Think about it like this. A candlestick is a, um, is a good holder of a candle, right? And some, we have one uh, on some of our furniture in the house. If you stick you know, a, a, a plastic candle or a wax candle in the middle of that candlestick, it will do a fantastic job holding up the candle, but if you take that same crystal candlestick and you try to stick it up under a car and jack it up to change a tire, what happens to the candlestick? It crushes it. Now, does that mean the candlestick is not a good holder for something? Absolutely not. It just can't hold the weight of the car. And if you were to try to do that and you saw it begin to shake and you, you saw it begin to crumble, your temptation would be to grab it. And in the middle of anxiety, that's what your heart does all the time. When you begin to find things in your life that can't hold the weight of the significance that you put on them, and it begins to shake, you grab and you get anxious. And so if you want to know what it is that you're putting too much weight on in your life, what part of your life that you are uh, applying too much significance to that's causing you to lose control and respond in anxiety, ask yourself this question. What is it if I can't have control over it? I feel like I'm going to break down. What is it if today I lost complete control over? I'm not sure I could go back to work tomorrow. Or I'm not sure I could get out of bed tomorrow. Whatever that is, you're putting too much weight on it. And it's like a candlestick under a car. And that's where your anxiety comes from. Yes, understand what it is. Learn its cause. But third, you must face the foolishness of it. I love that Jesus said this. And I actually think he's trying to be even comedic here. He says this in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? It's so redundant. It's so obvious. Yet Jesus needs to say this to us. That in the middle of anxiety, and I know you've felt this because I feel this all the time. When we are in an anxious moment, in an anxious season, there is an instinct within us within which when we are acting anxious, when we are feeling anxiety, it feels very responsible. It feels like when you're, when you're being anxious and when you're unable to sleep, what it feels like is that, well, I deeply care about this, and this is the mature adult thing to do. And if I don't do this, I'm not being responsible about the thing that is so significant and important about my life. But what you begin to learn, and what all psychologists will tell you, is that all you're doing when you're anxious about something that matters is you are not, you're not helping that situation at all. I tell college students this all the time. When has worrying about a test ever helped you on the test? No one, no one has ever answered that question in the affirmative. Yet what students always feel like if they're not anxious about their studies, then they're not being a responsible student. Do we not feel the same way as a parent? 
or as an employee, or as a spouse, or as a friend, or as a leader of any kind. But all you're doing in the midst of the situation is you are throwing gas on a fire. I saw this a couple years ago. This blew me away. Um, Blitz Gas Can Company uh, was the number one uh, gas can company in the country. Uh, can you even hear me back there? Okay. Because I feel like this thing is just moving around like a hair barrette. It's fine. Just leave it alone. Okay. So uh, Blitz, can get, uh, Blitz Gas Can Company was the number one gas can company in the country. That uh, you go to Target or Walmart or something like that, if you needed a little gas can for your lawnmower or your weed eater or something like that, this is the company you would buy. And they went out of business uh, three years ago because of litigation fees. And the number one uh, litigation problem for them was that they did not have written on their gas can that if you pour gas on a fire, it causes danger. Like there are several pathetically sad stories of you know people being at a party and a huge bonfire and throwing gas on the fire and having no knowledge at all that that would actually wound or cause more danger. Look, when, when you sit up at night and you are plagued with anxiety because you have eight things to do on a Monday, or you have a project that's due in two days, or you're having a party, and you are so plagued with anxiety that you cannot begin to do something, and you can't sleep, or there's something going on with your children at school, and it's a problem that, you, that is uncertain, that's intangible, that you don't know how to fix, all you're doing is sitting there throwing gas on the fire in your heart. And Jesus says, which of you in that moment can actually add a single hour to your life? Which of you can fix the anxiety in the moment by doing that? You must face the foolishness of anxiety. You must look at the moment and say, at, if I sit here and worry, if I sit here and don't sleep, it wounds me, it wounds my family, it wounds the project, it wounds my friends. And it's, it's rooted in a lack of belief and I'm probably putting too much weight on it. Understand what it is, learn its cause, its face the foolishness. So that's kind of breaking it down negatively. How do we actually positively do this? With fourth, you must experience the remedy. Look in verse 30 and then verse 32, Jesus says this. If you want to be rid of anxiety, look what he says. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then in verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And he's saying, look, your heavenly Father knows what you need before you need it. He's a, he's a father, he's not a judge. And what a father is supposed to do is provide and to care for. He's not an army general. He's not a teacher. He's a father who provides and loves and gives to his children. Now think about in the moment of anxiety what's going on in your heart. You're looking to anyone and for anything to provide for you. This is why we go to a panic in other people. We'll, what, do I, what am I supposed to do about this? How do I fix this? 
telling me what to do. It's why we go to substances to deal with our anxiety. Heal me. Fix me. Love me. Care for me. Take this pain away from me. But what you must do is what Peter says to do in 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxiety on him. Why? Because he can handle it? No. Although that's true. Because he'll listen? No. But that's true. Because he cares for you. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You know, for God to get you, it cost him the most expensive thing that he had. That he he purchased his children with his son, which means that you were the thing that God spent the most value on to get. Now consider for a moment, what's the most expensive thing that you have? What's the most valuable thing that you have? That you have spent the most money on? Because it often is the thing that you give the most care to. It's often the thing that you give the most attention to. And we don't care about our houses or our cars the way we do about a toy we bought for our children last week. Why? Because the value that we put on these things. Look, God put the ultimate value on you when He purchased you with His Son. Which means in the midst of your anxiety, He is both willing and able to enter in. But you also have to know who's saying, you to, who's saying this to you. Because Jesus is saying, do not be anxious about your life, about the uncertain things. Yet He knows the certain things that are going to come to Him. That He will one day sit in a garden and he will look and say, if it's possible, Father, I'm so terrified. Remove this cup from me. If it's possible, take this pain away. Take this fear away. Take this punishment away. And yet God says, I will not. And Jesus says, thy will be done. And what's happening in that moment is Jesus is modeling for us and accomplishing for you the possibility of living an anxious-free life because in the moment of true fear, in the moment of true anxiety, when he was headed to the cross, when he was headed to his own abandonment, the ultimate uncertainty, the ultimate intangible fear that could be all above all of us, he looked and said what we all long and need to say, which is, Thy will be done. And that he knew for that a father and his good pleasure was still wise. And he could say that, and you can say that, because in the moment of true anxiety and fear, the Father did not care for Jesus. And so you know, because the cross and resurrection are true, he will care for you. So if, listen, if you want to begin to live free of anxiety, you must do this. You must take what's called a bird's eye view. Randy Holderfield in his... Um, great book on the Normandy invasion tells this story where he said in the midst of like two or three hours when they were invading the beaches of Normandy uh, Admiral Spatz and General Eisenhower both got reports from their invading or their invading commanders that were that were simultaneously different so Eisenhower who was over the, uh, the army invading the beaches got a report that says this is not working we're losing men by the hundreds by the second. We're not advancing at all. 
should we retreat? And almost within a span of two or three hours, Admiral Spatz got a report that was different from the pilots that said, the troops are advancing. They're taking the beaches of Normandy. We're going to win this battle. And Holderfield says in his book, he says this, now which of them had the correct perspective on the moment? And he says, it was the ones with the bird's eye view. See, here, here's why you struggle so much with anxiety. And here's what you can take into your anxiety, is that so often in life, you don't have a bird's eye view. This is why Jesus says, look out into the world. Do you understand how your Father cares for the birds of the air, the lilies of the field? How much more for you will He care for you? The Gentiles, He cares and He loves them. Those, How much more His children? So when you begin to look out into the world and you begin to look out into your circumstances and realize though the world seems off so strong, God still is the ruler. You are taking a bird's eye view and realizing, I don't have the full picture here. I don't see it fully as it is, but He does, and He cares for me. You must experience that and take that in your life. And fifthly and lastly, you must practice the antidote. This is such a familiar verse, but I love the context and with it which shows up in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. We so heard this verse so many times, but it's so fascinating to me that Jesus says this in the context of our struggle with anxiety. You see, here's what He's teaching you. And I don't want to take the full time to go into this, but He's saying if you want to take a bird's eye view of your life, Look, it's not a weekend crash course, and it's not a, a shot of spirituality. You must begin to take simple steps of faith weekly in your life. He says, seek first the kingdom. Because Why the kingdom? Because the kingdom is an unshakable, unchangeable, unmovable thing that will be here for the end of time. And if you want anxiety, you will be free from anxiety to the degree of you putting the center of your life on the most stable thing in the world. See, when you put your job as the most stable thing in your life, and it begins to shake, your life goes like this. When you begin to put your children as the most stable thing in your life, and they begin to shake, life goes like this. But if you put the unshakable thing in the world at the center of your life, it means your life will always be like this. And Jesus says, seek that. Literally in the Greek, it's be seeking, present active imperative, which means make this a habitual action. Simple steps of faith, of constantly someone telling you, you reading, you praying, you singing, you hearing week after week after week, live with the bird's eye view. He cares for you. If you want to be free from anxiety, you begin to live not in light of what you don't know to be true. Not in light of the certainty, but what, in light of what you do know to be true. I'll close with this. Um, Pepsi had a, a commercial about four years ago. That I, I'm not sure it made it on TV, but it was all over the internet. But what they did is they took NASCAR driver Jeff Gordon and they dressed him up in this goofy hair and um, glasses and goatee, and they took it to a used car lot. And uh, 
he walks up to the salesman, he's looking at this, I think, I think it's a Mustang GT, and the guy says, are you interested in this car? And Jeff Gordon's like, oh, no, I can't handle a car like this. The guy has no idea who he is, and he's like, oh, well, the only way to know is to get in the car and try out. So he's like, okay, well, let's go for a test drive. So the guy's like, you want to ease it, you know, into first gear, and Jeff Gordon sort of looks at him like, and throws it in third gear. They come peeling out of the parking lot about 75 miles an hour, spinning through traffic. Uh, he does a couple donuts in the middle of a, you know, a four-lane road, goes up on the side of a road, on the side of a wall, and the entire time the other guy is just screaming, like <laughs> bloody murder. He's screaming, I'm gonna kill you, I'm gonna arrest you, you're going to jail, I'm gonna sue you. I mean, he's just, like half of it's even kind of even bleeped out because the guy's just screaming. At, the, at him. Jeff Gordon, the whole time, never flinches. He's just putting it in gear, driving 80 miles an hour, in and out of traffic, comes back into the parking lot, does a, slams on the brake, rips the emergency brake, does a 360 back into the exact place and brought the car, puts the car in park. The guy gets out and says, I'm calling the cops. You're going to jail. You're going to jail. And Jeff Gordon rips off the wig, rips off the glasses, takes off the goatee, says, hello, man. Hey, it's me, Jeff Gordon. And the guy realizes that he had nothing to fear the whole time. And he looks back at him and says, do you want to do it again? And it teaches you this. If you knew in life who was in the car with you, in the midst of the fear, you would say, do you want to do it again? He cares for you. And says, do not fear. Let me pray for us. Lord, if we only knew, if we only had a bird's eye view of life, where we could rest our souls and think the things that we're caring about, our jobs, our children, our activities, they certainly matter, Lord, and they are great ways to serve and glorify you in this world, but they are not the meaning of life nor the center of life. Would you give us a bird's eye view and free us, Lord, from being so overwhelmed by things that are not the meaning of life, but the sin, but they are in life. Help us, Lord, to follow Jesus, to trust Him. In His name, Amen.